Greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line, and here we are. <laughs> now, now, lots of things could happen. For example, my my light here, um, you got to understand, it was on its last legs when it was in the other unit, and then it got rather violently moved <laughs> from one unit to the other. So it's 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 a it's a death door. It could, I mean, the tape just ain't holding. You know, um, it was a cheapy. It was just a. I never expected to get much, this much life out of it, so I I can't complain. But here we are, and uh, this obviously uh, is not uh, where we are going to be in the long run. But we are in the new unit, and that does not mean that the fundraiser is done. By a stretch of the imagination, uh, we still have lots of funds to raise, and that we're going to have the uh, Derek Melton knife to make available, and a Jeffrey uh, Rice uh, rebind to make available. A brother from Utah has contacted us, and he does this woodworking with a um, uh, uh, resurrection scene, empty tomb scene, similar to what I've got in the background at the office. I don't know if you could make one small enough for this corner, but. Um, I'm not, not hopefully not going to be in this corner for very long. Um, but I am in the new unit. I um I'm in a completely different location than I was before. I was always at the very back. Excuse me, the door was at the very back. The door's over there. I'm facing the back of the unit now. I'm out in the slide out. I'm about not not quite halfway. I guess right around halfway, maybe. Um up from the rear and from the back and so on and so forth. I just, um, we're doing a, um, a test. I mean, uh, this is what I'm gonna be taking up to Utah for the debate. And as soon as we arrange to, you know, get this unit, this was the unit, uh, Rich actually complimented me. I'm not sure that he realized he was complimenting me, but, uh, he said, this is, this is the exact right floor plan. You got it right off the bat. And, um, uh, and, and we did. And in fact, this was the first floor plan that I looked at. Uh, I had an idea in my mind, and this was the first one. And I looked at a bunch of other makes, and nobody had anything that had the bunks back there that I'm looking at right now that was this short. Um, It is four and a half feet longer than the last unit. I just uh, went through my first gas station and did not destroy it. (laughs) Uh, I won't tell you any more of the stories about that. But anyway, here we are. I'm up in northern Arizona. This is uh, completely a um, a test run. There's stuff you got to do. You gotta you gotta hook up water. You gotta hook up electricity. You gotta put the slides out. You gotta see how stuff's gonna work. Uh, does the shower work? Does the water heater work? Uh, if I'm going up to Salt Lake City where I got snowed on last year, uh, I need to make sure I've got hot water and a few things like that. Or I'm gonna show up in a really bad mood <laughs> at the at the debate. Let's just put it that way. So that's where we are. And uh, we are coming to you live, um, and we're already using, for example, uh, you know, the internet we've installed in here. Uh, that's one of the main ways we'll be uh, doing things. Um, and so I'm, I would like to have the windows open, but the problem is the sun would be shining on the back of my le- my follically challenged head, and would be causing me to uh, glow like certain. Uh, Roman Catholic saints in pictures do, and we don't want any of that at all. So there we go. So uh, first of all, 
just unbelievable thanks to everyone who has already given uh, toward this uh, project. Uh, as I think of all the things coming up this year, uh, that Lord willing, this unit will take me to uh, G3 and debates and things like that. It's um, truly exciting. And then we don't yet, we haven't even put tape measures to the bedroom yet. Um, but uh, we've got to get guys together and you can only put about two guys in there anyways. Um, but we got to get guys together and brainstorm and figure out exactly how to uh, convert a bedroom into a webcast studio and, um, and make it work. Uh, make it so that I can have one other person in there to interview as I've done in the past, at least. Um, and yet to, you know, I would love to have my other screen set up right now. I can see it from here, but this is a different setup. Um, a little bit challenging. Uh, and, and so I'm going to have that screen and we're going to be able to do video and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's, that's all in the works. I don't know that we'll get it done for the May trip, but certainly by the July trip, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we should have it all taken care of uh, by that point. So uh, sincere thanks. Uh, we still need uh, folks to um, uh, help us uh, keep um, going down this road, getting everything taken care of. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm beside myself uh, with excitement and being here and having survived the trip up what is called Five Mile Hill um, on I-17 in Phoenix, outside of Phoenix, if you're familiar with this area at all, uh, it's a great test uh, for any combination of a, of a truck and an RV. <laughs> it's steep. It's long enough to make anything that's going to go wrong go wrong. And um, uh, everything was great, fine, wonderful. And so we're excited. Now, it doesn't mean there are adjustments to be made. And I'm just looking around going, I'm not sure where a lots of stuff is because <laughs> I tried, Rich will tell you, I tried, you know, I, I want to try to, you know, move stuff over and put it in pretty much the same space and all the rest of that stuff that lasted, that lasted about five minutes. What was that? What was that? Oh, you know, I, that's highly offensive. I just want everybody to know in the audience that Rich is using very highly offensive language toward me uh, right now. And it, it's very unkind. And all of you who are constantly saying you need to be nicer to Rich, you need to say to Rich, you need to be nicer to James. Okay. Because that's, you know, he, it's, it's, yeah. Anyway. So um, I had mentioned on Twitter that I would, I was, I wanted to invite people to listen to the dialogue, the discussion that took place on Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Yes, it was Tuesday. Um, on Apologia Radio, uh, myself and Jeff Durbin with uh, Brandon Robertson. And I can certainly understand why there might be many people in the audience that don't know who Brandon Robertson is. Um, you probably have seen him because clips of some of his TikTok videos have gone viral. Um, when he, for example, um, said that Jesus was a racist, um, and, uh, you know, he, he himself is a homosexual. He was one of the, um, people 
that was on a panel at the Religious Broadcasters Association meeting back in like 2015 or 2016, somewhere around in that area. And uh, Michael Brown was on that panel. They had a lot of back and forth discussion. But as I've mentioned on the program a number of times before, there was something, I don't remember what it was. I haven't gone back to find it yet. Probably could be, could find it. Um, but I haven't gone back there to do it yet. There was, I was listening to Brandon Roberts and it wasn't, this was before the uh, National Religious NRB panel thing. There was something he said. My recollection is it had something to do with the authority of scripture. Now, my understanding is that he actually went to Moody Bible Institute. And you don't get into Moody with the views that Brandon Robertson has now of the Bible. I can assure you of that. And so there was something he said back then. And I was I was riding my bike and I was listening. And I I maybe even said it out loud. Not that anyone would hear you as you're riding by. Um, I said, he's not going to remain Orthodox. He's on his way. There's... There's a trajectory here, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And, of course, it's exactly what has happened. And a lot of people, again, are stunned when they hear him saying the things that he says. And I'm not stunned because and, – and, and we need to stop being stunned. Not, not that we should, oh, that's just fine or something like that. What I, what I, what I mean is – we need to understand where these people are coming from and why they take the views that they take. And I think the most useful thing in the conversation that took place, and if you saw the, if you saw the teaser that was put out yesterday afternoon or something like that, uh, you didn't know that I was there. <laughs> it, was, it was all Jeff talking to uh, Brandon. There was one little clip, you could see me, but, but I, I wasn't in there. And Jeff did the majority of the talking. There's no, there's no question about that. Part of the reason for that was um, Brandon had written to Jeff and to Apologia saying, let's talk about what you said, about what Jeff had said, I don't know, two, three weeks ago on the program. And besides that, I wanted to make sure that the conversation ended up taking place Got to give Brandon props for for doing it. He was very nervous. You could tell he was very, very nervous. Um, it was sort of strange how much he was moving around. And I'm not sure how many bottles of water he managed to, to, to drink during that entire thing. But um, still, I think the most useful thing that came out of it was a recognition of what it requires of an individual to eventually adopt the positions that Brandon Robertson has adopted coming from somewhere like Moody Bible Institute. And if you've listened and if you've, if you haven't, hopefully this will still be useful to you, but you can go listen to it being fulfilled uh, in your ears. At one point I was a little bit surprised, very interested that, well, 
what had happened was uh, somehow a discussion had come up about the word of God and prophecy, prophecies of the coming of Christ. All of it revolved around around what what is the nature of this? What what is this? And I had gone to Luke chapter 24 because what Brandon does and what this, and I, I, I don't grant to them the term progressive. They're not progressives. They're regressives. They're moving away from a high view of scripture to a very low view of scripture. Even a rejection of the fact of, of the idea that there is such a thing as scripture. Um, you you could you could hear that in what Brandon was saying. But I had gone to Luke chapter 24. And somewhere along in there, he had he had re- referred to his mentor, John Dominic Crossan. Now, I had not heard that before. I was unaware of any connection between Crossan and Robertson. Dom is a really nice guy, but he, as I've said, he's, you know, as I said to him, you're our favorite heretic, uh, which he laughed at at least that time. Um, but if you, if you're not familiar with John Dominic Cross and he was one of the co-founders of the Jesus seminar and the Jesus seminar is this wildly radical left-wing group. Now he will deny that of course. Oh no, no, they're mainstream then. No, they're wildly radical. They're the guys who, in the 1990s, late 80s, actually. Um, and in fact, I, I forgot to do it. I was going to ask the guys in our in our channel to look up. Because I think it's on Sermon Audio. I think it's there. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it's not. But there was a secular radio talk show program. Guy named uh, Barry Young was on a, a radio station called KFYI. I was on KFYI many times with Tom Likas, Barry Young. Um, what was that other guy? Um, yeah, Bob Mohan. Yeah, um, and I forget what year it was. I think it was. I think it was before I graduated from Fuller and I graduated Fuller in 89. So it may have been 87, 88, somewhere around in there. It's a long time ago. And a group of us, I think there were three of us were in studio and Robert Funk who co-founded the Jesus Seminar with John Dominic Crossan was on. And that was the time when Robert Funk got sick and tired of being challenged primarily by me because the other folks in the group weren't going to Fuller Seminary. So you, you weren't already dealing with this stuff. And during one of the commercial breaks, And I was a radio guy, grew up doing radio. I was watching Barry Young, and I could tell someone was talking to him in his headphones. And he said, he did what? Call him back. 
And what had happened was during the break, Robert Funk had said to the call screener producer guy who had gone on the line, let him know that we were in a commercial break. He said, look, I'm sick and tired of this. Tell them all to go to hell. And he hung up. And so I knew Barry Young and I knew what he was going to do. So he has the producer call him back live on the air. And he answers and, and Barry Young is, uh, uh, Dr. Funk, we lost the line. No, you didn't. I hung up on you. Well, why would you hang? Did you tell us all to go to hell? Yes, it's a good place to go, he said. <laughs> it was interesting. I tried after Funk then did hang up again to do something positive with the program and try to make, you know, because it's a secular station and try to make some kind of comment. And that's not what Barry Young wanted. He he had gotten what he had wanted. He wanted the fist fight and he, he got the fist fight. So anyway, Jesus, the Jesus Seminar guys are radical skeptics. And what they did back then is they came out with the scholar's version, very, very humbly named, of course, the scholar's version of the Gospels, where they get together as a group and they have discussions and people present papers about various parables and pericopes in Jesus' life and stuff like that. And then they would vote with different colored marbles as to whether they thought Jesus had ever said whatever it was they were voting on, uh, the parable of the sower, the, the soils, the parable of uh, you know the good Samaritan, whatever. And they would take marbles. So uh, red, if he said it, or, or was it if he didn't say it? I forget. It was like red, pink, gray, and black, I think. That's how it worked out. And so they would vote. And then they published this edition and they would they would print the words of Jesus in these various colors, reflecting this radical left-wing anti-Christian group of people. Now, now Don Crossan was a monk, a Roman Catholic monk. He, he spent the entire uh, 60s in a cell. Um, okay, that recording in our sermon audio channel is titled, Is the Bible for Real? Not where we, not sure we came up that one, but so if you go to sermon audio, go to Alpha and Omega Ministries and search for, Is the Bible for Real? You can listen. To, what? Oh. Oh, I had forgotten that. You know, if I wanted to be, if I wanted to out Ergen, Ergen Canner, I'd count all these as debates. I'd have like 500. <laughs> okay, so what Rich said, I'm not sure if you heard what Rich said, but I heard what Rich said. He, 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 seems, to, he seems to think you can't hear what he's saying. So anyway, um, I did, I think, wasn't the Dr. Dietz thing on KTAR with Pat McMahon? That's my recollection. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was short. Right, yeah. It was 90 minute tape. Yeah. Young people don't understand 90 minutes. <laughs> 45 minutes aside, switch it over. Yeah, never mind. Um, there were dinosaurs roaming the world back then. Anyway, 
so it's is the Bible for real? Look it up on Sermon Audio. You can hear that whole that whole thing. John Dominic Crossan spent the '60s studying the Gospels in a cell as a monk, an Irish Catholic monk, and he didn't even know people like us existed. Okay, his skepticism is so radical that when we talked with him, we took him on a cruise. Uh, we did a debate. Um, no, we can't hear Rich. He made sure he's kept kept us out of the loop. <laughs> I can see that on my wrist. I want everyone to know. Thank you, Chris. Um, go watch uh, Elf. Anyway, um, we took him on a cruise. So you can go watch the debate that Jim Renahan and I did with he and Marcus Borg on the resurrection. And again, we were like aliens to John Dominic Crossan. He had never experienced anything like us and thought it very strange that we had such conservative views. Um, Didn't think people like us existed who could like read his works and interact with his works and, and had an obvious IQ. Um, You know, that's just what he, what he grew up with. The result was he eventually left the priesthood and the result of all that was when we talked to him, and this was, what year was that? Late to, to like 2008, nine, somewhere around there. Anyway, uh, maybe before that, he did not know if there is a personal God or if there is anything of the, after, if there is an afterlife. He was basically an agnostic. And that's the result of this kind of radical skepticism. All of that to bring you up to speed, because, man, that was, that was a long time ago. It was many, many years ago. To bring you up to speed, for Brandon Robertson to say, he's my mentor, this will now explain why, when I went to Luke chapter 24 in the, in the dialogue a couple of days ago, when I went to Luke chapter 24, it, it clicked with me. You'll hear me say before I read it. You'll hear me say, now, given what you just said, I doubt you even think Jesus said these words. But then I walk through the statement. Jesus, starting with Moses, all the prophets and the Psalms, demonstrated that they were speaking about him. Because he had denied that. He had denied predictive prophecy. And I said that, and and he made the statement. Uh, he said, yeah, uh, the, the Jesus Seminar scholars have demonstrated that most of what we have in, in the Gospels, Jesus didn't say. So Brandon's view of Scripture was very clearly exposed, and it's necessary to go there. This is what I saw coming long before he would admit that it was actually happening in his own thinking, in his own thought. So Jeff had played a clip in the previous Apologia Radio that they had done, but he, there is about him, but he wasn't on. Talking about how many uh, sex workers he knows in New York. What wonderful, godly Christian people they are. And how porn's a good thing, and it's a beautiful thing. 
And when most Christians who want to follow Jesus and read their Bible hear something like that, they're just completely lost. Because anyone who's read the Bible knows, what? How can you say something like that? It takes a radical disintegration of Scripture to come to those conclusions. And that's what you have with the Jesus seminar. Robert Funk hated the gospel. He hated Christianity. He hated the historical Jesus. And so everything he was trying to do was to bring about that disintegration of the Christian faith and the scriptures as a whole. So what what you hear when you listen to us seeking to reason with Brandon from the scriptures is an individual who is not under the authority of scripture because he does not believe there is such a thing. There is no consistent revelation. Anything that doesn't fit, you just simply dismiss its authority. You say Jesus never said that. For example, Luke 24. I'm not sure why he doesn't just do the, there was no Moses, because I'm sure he does not believe there was a Moses. And I would, and and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. And I, and God bless you for thinking it. The, 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 there were a bunch of you in the audience right now that went, but Jesus said, but remember, once you're at the, the Jesus seminar level of things, Jesus didn't say anything. Um, there is nothing in the text of the Bible that you have to affirm actually represents anything that Jesus ever said. At the very least, you can say, well, you know, Matthew, he had his purposes, Mark he had his purposes, Luke. And it wasn't Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't even know who these people were. Uh, this was the next century. Um, you know, this all gets into, remember, last program we were talking about trent horn um and oh it's just out of reach um the the book that is promoting the idea that theodustas when paul well it wasn't paul whoever in the second century used theodustas in writing to someone who wasn't timothy (laughs) that the term could only mean life-giving um, not God breathed. Um, once you once you get to that point where, well, you know, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't the first century. This is uh, this is actually um, someone writing the pseudonym, and so it's so, sort of like a forgery. Why are we even wasting our time here? Is what I want to know. But that's where a large, large, large portion, and you know, when and when people say. The Enlightenment messed everything up. There's many ways in which that's true. You have to be really careful because you can just throw everything out saying that. But the Enlightenment is what allowed people to take the scriptures apart, to disintegrate them. Now, this is an argument, and I'll I'll put it right up front here, and just I'm not going to expand upon it right now. The Traditional text people use this kind of argument. And 
the difference is they're focusing upon trying to get rid of how we know the words and say, well, it's found in this text that it's in the TR, it's King James, whatever. Dealing with, you know, historical manuscripts and it's a transmission of the text of, of time and looking at early church fathers and stuff like that. That's different than the starting presupposition of a Robert Funk. The starting presupposition of Robert Funk is purely secular. In fact, I would say with him, atheistic. The starting presupposition is this cannot from the start be the word of God. And I don't, I lost track of how many times Brandon Robertson says it's not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And so once you start there, the only thing you can possibly have left, and we went 10 minutes over in the discussion. It was supposed to be one hour. We went 70 minutes. And so I didn't get a chance to really expand upon this. But I did ask Brandon at one point. I, I said, given your view of Scripture, when you stand behind a pulpit, what can you say to people with any kind of, and as soon as I said the word authority, he said, well, I don't. We want, we want to have discussion. We want, we, we want people to be able to disagree. And, and I knew that's exactly what he was going to say. Um, the, the perspective that they have of church is not, it, 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 can, it can only live up to the level of what they invest in whatever passages of scripture they decide speak to them. And if someone says, I don't think that passage speaks to me, then it's not really scripture. And it's not really wrong. Um, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. And so it, it really does... Um, Uh, it, it really, really does illustrate with great clarity that even when we tried to, you may have seen the, if you've, again, if you watch it, if you've already watched it, or if you haven't, go watch it so this makes all sense. When we got into Leviticus, we were pressing the reality that what you have in Leviticus 18 and 20, and again, Most Christians struggle mightily to deal with this kind of radical leftist ideology because we are canonically challenged. We don't, almost none of us, spend the amount of time in a Leviticus or a Deuteronomy that we do in a John or a Romans. And in some senses, there's some areas where that's okay, as long as you recognize that the ones who wrote John and Romans spent a tremendous amount of time in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Most evangelicals don't have a whole lot of um, knowledge 
of the holiness code or the mosaic code. And a lot of people are tired. It's irrelevant to us today. So why should I waste my time with it? And so when we do go to it, as we have to, um, get a little more comfy here in the corner. Uh, as when we do go to it, as we have to go to it, because it's the foundation of, it's clearly in Paul's mind in Romans 1. It's clearly there in 1 Corinthians 6. It's clearly there in 1 Timothy 1. Um, and again, I point out, once you, you go the modernistic perspective, um, Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians are Paul, but 1 Timothy isn't. And so everything that causes the scriptures to cohere and to allow us to have a doctrine of the Trinity, to have a doctrine of the resurrection, to have a have soteriology, to have ecclesiology, all of that, all of that disappears once the internal cohesion of the text of scripture is broken apart. And you start with the idea that, yeah, I don't think Jesus ever said that. Yeah, I don't think Paul ever wrote that. And, you know, you may follow this scholar or that scholar. There's a billion people out there that want you to spend the money on their books that will tell you which texts to spin in a particular direction. It's a lot harder to believe in sola scriptura and tota scriptura and to exegete the text of scripture in light of that. It's easy to be a progressivist. It's easy because you just, you just get to sort of chop stuff up the way you like it. You don't have to worry about that and that and that and that. I don't like those. Just They don't speak to me. And since they don't speak to me, then I don't have to worry about it. You see? It's much harder. There was one point where I probably shouldn't have, but he was just being so condescending. Um, you know, he's talking about how much time he spent studying Canaanite religion. Well, again, go back to the Holiness Code sermon series I did at PRBC years ago. And as difficult as it was, because these are supposed to be sermons, I did a whole section on Canaanite religion and Babylonian religion and Egyptian religion. And we've learned a lot over the past century about those things. No question about it. Is that relevant? Of course it is. Of course it is. When I went to Israel in, in 2018, uh, 2017, 2018, whatever it was. Um, yeah, 2018. When I went to Israel, we saw one of one of the high places, one of the very ancient ruins of the high places that you you read about all the time. And the the people of God were constantly tempted to go here, and the kind of sexuality and sacrifices and prostitution and everything else and Moloch worship, the giving of children to to bring about the fertility of the land and uh and of course egyptian religion had all sorts of it's it's man rebelling against the created order 
And so that conversation came up. And at some point, he made some comment about how he spent 10 years and spent $100,000 studying these things. And therefore, we just need to accept what he has to say. I don't know how old Brandon is. I think he's around 30, 31, maybe somewhere around there. Um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Uh, I said, son, I was studying this stuff when you were still in diapers. And as I think about it, that first encounter with, um, Robert Funk was probably before he was born. Uh, I would imagine uh, I'd have to, again, that's, I was, that was one of the reasons I, I was going to look it up, see what the date on it. Was in fact, Rich. Is there a date on that anywhere? I'd be interested if we have a date on the um, Robert Funk encounter, uh, and maybe you could look up Brandon Robertson on Wikipedia. See if there's a uh huh. Oh, ha <laughs> Thank you. Um, Brandon Roberts was born 1992, so he's younger than my youngest. Uh, so he is just now, thir- uh, well, he's not, not 31 yet. Uh, so there you go. And Rich guessed 87 on the funk one. So yeah, so uh, five years before he was born, I was dealing with the Jesus Seminar people, um, reading their books and all the rest of that fun stuff. So it, it got a little warm at that point uh, in in the conversation. But the 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 thing that i felt really did turn out well uh was the exposure of the kind of view of scripture and this does sort of dovetail with where we were in the last program because i'm still finding it fascinating um what happened with the debate between Gavin Ortland and Trent Horn. And some of this is just speculation on my part, but the reality is that in my experience of Catholic Answers, in the starting with This Rock magazine in the late 1980s, um, and then in you know all through the 90s into the early 2000s we're doing you know debate after debate after debate the great debates and and things like that the Tim Staples and I on Bible Answer Man Jimmy Aiken and I on Bible Answer Man uh Pat Madrid and I debated twice um and in all that time one thing that was obvious was that Roman Catholic apologists are conservative in their view, not only of of Catholic um, theology, but their view of Scripture as well, view of the Bible as well. And so it does strike me as really interesting that not only would Trent Horn use a resource that at its at its root you know because if you're if you're going to be looking at if you're going to be making conclusions about what words 
in here mean? What you believe about the nature of this and hence what's going to be relevant. So if you don't think that Paul wrote Theanustas, then you can't necessarily go to um, other Pauline texts and say, well, you know, Paul made this type of argumentation here. The same thing then would be true. I don't think Trent Horn could be consistent if he's if he's buying into that kind of um, less than conservative perspective. I don't think he can be consistent to then do what I do in responding to someone like um, Brandon Robertson or any person promoting homosexuality where I would say, well, look, look at what Paul does in first Timothy chapter one, where he's walking through the Decalogue and he expands the commandment against committing adultery. And he uses pornia and then arsenokoites. And so this shows us that what what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 6, and it's pretty hard to get out of Pauline authorship of 1 Corinthians 6. And in Romans chapter 1, there's a consistency here. Once you buy the, it's not really Paul, that consistency breaks down. And it, it changes even how you do lexical studies. And can have any type of, and can hope to have any level of certainty um, regarding the meaning of words, uses of words by certain authors, and things like that. And so, if you've uh, sort of switching over a little bit here, but tying it all together, there was a um, you you heard Brandon saying, "Well, word of God, that's only Jesus." Okay. So then one of the texts that was so important in the uh, Sola Scriptura debate was Mark chapter 7. And I, use, I normally use the, the Matthean version, but same thing. But it is the encounter between Jesus uh, and the scribes and Pharisees regarding the Korban rule. So uh, Mark 7, 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with defiled hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Please note that very obviously what Jesus is doing here is he is identifying their uh, traditions, specifically the tradition of the elders, as something that's being taught as doctrines, the mere commands of men. So he's denying the divine origination of these traditions that the Jews claimed had come from Moses, but were passed down orally outside the written scriptures, which is exactly, of course, what Rome claims about her traditions as well. 
Leaving the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is korban, that is given to God. You no longer leave him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the ton logon tutheyu, the word of God, by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such things as that. So first, I don't have the scholar's edition with me. Uh, it's collecting dust in my office somewhere. <laughs> um, but I, I would be interested. Uh, it's probably online someplace. I have, Again, GS Seminar is pretty irrelevant today, but uh, it's probably online somewhere. I could look it up. I'd be interested to know, do they think Jesus said this? What color coding is put on this? Because you have in Mark 7, 13, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition. Now, it wasn't invalidating Jesus. So Brandon, who doesn't believe the Bible is the word of God, would have a hard time with this one. But this came up from Trent Horn, as to what word of God means. It's it's obvious. Jesus just quoted directly in, um, well, in two sections. Uh, he's quoted a number of different uh, references. Uh, up above, uh, he had, uh, well, where is the note here? Oh, it's being covered over by the, by all the notifications. There we go. And by uh, Zoom as well at the same time. Uh, so he's quoted from Isaiah 29, 13, uh, up in Mark 7, 6, and 7. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Exodus 20, 12, Deuteronomy 5, 16, um, as well as uh, Exodus 21, 17, Leviticus 20, verse 9. So he's quoting from the Mosaic Code and from, well, the Tanakh broadly. And identifying it as the word of God. So this is how we use the term word of God as scripture. And Jesus uses the same thing. And so Brandon would struggle with that. But then the, the conversation came up in, in the debate as to how people would know what the word of God was. And I, I was a little confused by it, and I want to listen to it again. But Trent Horn was was basically making the argument that the early church fathers didn't view the New Testament as scripture. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, who specifically? Because from a simple church history perspective, there had to be a period of development because there wasn't an internet. <laughs> um, it's it's really clear, for example, that uh, Justin Martyr, if he had any exposure to Paul, he may have had no exposure to Paul at all. But but if he did, it was maybe he didn't have any background or 
We don't know. But the point is, it took time for written documents to be circulated, examined, to get from one place to another. And so just as with the Old Testament scriptures, there was a period of time between Malachi and Christ. And for about, you know, about 200 years before Christ, you have the laying up of the Jewish canon, the laying up of those books in the temple. Um, so that really by the time of Jesus, there really isn't much of a argument going on um, as to what is canonical or not. Um, and there's some discussion about this, some specific weirdness of the Sadducees on that point, but especially the Pharisees. And the same thing happened with the New Testament. There, there has to be a period of time where these books are being copied and circulated, and there, there, would be, there would be time when there would be churches that would only have maybe one or two Gospels rather than all four, um, or especially some of the smaller books, some of the personal books. I'm sure there was hesitancy with books like First, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, because they were written individuals instead of the churches. Was there hesitancy on the, those, those individuals' parts in sharing those books that were written to them personally? There, there's all sorts of, of questions along those, those, those lines. And those are, those are issues that we need to you know, you know, dig into and, and, and think about. But I'm, I'm just, when, when the earliest writers quote from gospel sources, it's clearly considered authoritative. And some of those very early sources may have very limited um, New Testament canonical exposure at that point. But it's self-evident that, that there is authority attached to these things. Now, I'm not sure if he's just trying to do the, well, Sola Scriptura has to be valid um, before, be, before the canon's even known, because dogmatically, Rome doesn't do that until, 15, until the 16th century. So that doesn't work. Obviously, Scripture functions before any, quote-unquote, infallible uh, canon is ever is ever promulgated, or scripture could not have functioned at the Council of Nicaea or anything like that. But one thing's for one thing's for sure. Um, once again, we 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 are we see the incoherence of the Roman Catholic argument on this subject, because wasn't there somebody? There had to have been someone that had dogmatic absolute canonical certainty in the first century right peter well wait a minute what if peter died before the canon was closed well well who was what was there an apostle you can't if you can't trace it back to like john where is this apostolic authority to be found is the content of the canon actually apostolic because if it's not then it has to come from non-apostolic individuals and look rome doesn't mind doing that if if the dogmatic definition of the bodily assumption of mary proved anything it proved that rome 
can define as a dogma something that no apostle ever breathed a word about. So maybe they're just being very um, open uh, now about going ahead and saying, yeah, uh, there's, there's this authority that the church has that we can actually bind consciences with supernatural revelation after the apostles. Um, maybe there's just having to be honest about that because they did with the bodily assumption of Mary. There isn't any question about that. Uh, if they ever did the sixth Marian dogma, co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix, all the rest of stuff, that would be just another example. Um, but all this circling back to, it really strikes me. Um, it, it really strikes me. A, a friend was saying, is that dialogue with Brandon available? Yeah, it's, uh, it premiered at one o'clock on uh, Apologia Radio. Um, it, 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 it strikes me that there's been a shift within Roman Catholic apologetics. Now, maybe it's just an individual thing. Um, I, I suppose I have to leave that as a possibility, too. Um, but it seems to me that there has been a shift. Um, I don't know how far it can go, though. Because one thing I've certainly learned, theological liberalism is the end of apologetics because theological liberalism has nothing to defend. You have to have absolute, um, you have to have a revelation from God to be able to take a stand on it, to give a defense for it. And the whole essence of liberalism is you don't have any of that. It, it doesn't exist. So I'm not sure what all that is about. One thing is absolutely certain. You can't get around this. Mark chapter 7, Jesus, and again, the liberal says, you mean a late first century, early second century pseudonymous book claims that someone named Jesus said, that's all they've got. That's why mainline denominations, once they adopt that perspective, they implode. Because they have no message for anybody. Brandon Robertson has no message for anybody. He can't not say anything with any kind of authority. He has no authority. Because he has no word from God. And so, what is definitely clear in canonical scripture is that Jesus tested the so-called oral tradition of the Jews, which is found in the Mishnah, tractate of both. The Korban rule, specific term used in Mark 7, 11. Um, Jesus taught us to test self-proclaimed divine traditions on the basis of the revealed word of God. And so when Rome says to me that there is a divine tradition that comes from God that says that Mary was immaculately conceived, 
I test that by what's found in Scripture, find it to be utterly contradictory to what Scripture says, and I reject it. Rome says you can't do that. We are the only ones that can interpret Scripture. We determine the canon. We determine what Scripture means. We determine what tradition is. We determine what tradition means. We have the ultimate authority. We are the infallible church. And so you can't do that. And if you accept that argumentation, then you cannot follow Jesus. Not in his commandment in Mark 7. You can't do it. You can't do it. And if you want to say, well, and it's interesting because the Roman, the Roman Catholic would say, if, if the Roman Catholic, if the modern Roman Catholic apologists were around in the days of Jesus, well, how could anyone know that honor your father or your mother is actually a commandment from God without an infallible counsel to tell you what the canon of scripture is? And that takes us, you know, right back to the white question and things we've discussed along those lines uh, many times in the past. Um, so may I suggest to everyone, not just our regulars, though, especially to all you guys and gals, to you, to you guys that are going to Shepherds Conference, to you guys that aren't going to Shepherds Conference, uh, to you pastors, to you homeschool dads and moms, all of you involved in pro-life work, seeking to see human abortion abolished. Um, let, let me say to all of you, you may have over the years considered all the time that I spent on Sola Scriptura and on the history of Scripture and the transmission of the text of Scripture to be somewhat, maybe maybe somewhat interesting, maybe a little quaint. Eh, yeah, that, that white guy, he should like to talk about that a whole lot, you know, and that's, that's his bailiwick. May I suggest to you, it's foundational to everything else. Everything else. All this stuff we're talking about now with the Thomistic Renaissance and resourcement and the demand that you use all sorts of, of terminology that you know came hundreds, even thousand years after the time of Christ. What's all that boiling down to? It's all boiling down to the nature and sufficiency of Scripture. Sola Scriptura. And it really seems to me that a lot of guys that I even have respect for who've talked about, well, we really enjoyed your debates with Roman Catholics and stuff. When I see people interacting now with sort of like the next generation, I'm going, I'm not sure y'all were catching why we were emphasizing the things that we were emphasizing. And now you're finding out. Now you're seeing. There are fundamental foundational issues about why you will not survive the coming tsunami of secular persecution if you do not have both the intellectual commitment to what scripture claims for itself as well as the spirit-born spirit-created testimony 
commitment from your heart that God has spoken. The, the Jesus Seminar people will not stand up to a communistic, totalitarian, secular regime and continue to believe what is recorded in Matthew chapter 19. They won't because they can't. Think about it. Would you be willing to risk prison for believing what Jesus says in Matthew 19? From the beginning, God created the male and female. That's the created order. Would you be willing to risk jail if you actually had no confidence that Jesus ever said those words? Or that Jesus ever rose from the dead? Because it is interesting, I didn't bring this up in the conversation with Brandon, but John Dominic Crossan, the debate we did on the boat was, did Jesus rise from the, physically rise from the dead? And Brandon Robertson has said things that make me go, I think he takes that perspective on this. Because they'll say, oh, I believe in resurrection. What they believe is that there is a spiritual reality to be had somewhere. Not that there was an empty tomb. And I, I, I remember Dom, he, had, he knew that we were intelligent people, but it still took halfway through the debate for him to sort of look at me and go, so you guys actually believe the tomb was empty because Jesus physically came back to life? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, are you really going to risk your life, your livelihood, prison, for the moral teaching of Scripture? If you, do, if you don't believe in the divine nature, if you don't believe as Jesus did, that God has spoken, you're not going to risk it. You, you're, you'll, you'll do what the United Methodists and the liberal, all the leftist denominations are doing. Utterly collapsing. And so that makes a connection to one other thing. I didn't mean to go long, but I'll, I'll try to make this quick. Um, the news is picking up on what we had mentioned, I think, on the last program, how in the Washington Elementary School District in Phoenix, uh, well, Northwest Valley, so it might be in Glendale, um, my kids went to that, that school district many, many years ago. And they have voted to not allow students from Arizona Christian University to student teach for them because Arizona Christian University holds to Jesus' teaching on the nature of human sexuality, marriage, so on and so forth. This is coming for all of us, for all of us. In every field, these people are totalitarians. It's coming up on a quarter of a century ago, maybe even longer now. I don't remember when I first used the first phrase. We may find out soon. We're, we're, we're talking with someone. Someone approached me about maybe being able to actually meaningfully digitally index all the dividing lines on the basis of spoken word, be able to look for everything 
And that might actually allow me to find out when I first used the phrase Uber rights. But I said long ago, homosexuals do not want equal rights. They want Uber rights. And you listen to the ditzy woman on the school board in the Washington Elementary School District. You listen to what she said in proposing and getting passed unanimously this motion to no longer use Christian students as student teachers. You listen to what she says. This, these are people who have rights that none of the rest of us have. You can't even get close to offending one of these people. You can offend a Christian up one side, down the other. Who cares? But not these folks. Not these folks. Oh, no, you can't. They, are, they want and have gotten Uber rights. Now, I will say one other thing. Once the last bit of cohesion in this society breaks down and societal order breaks down, and the result is a police state and totalitarianism and all liberties and freedoms lost, let me tell you something. The regime that rises out of that will care nothing for homosexuals. Once they have the power, once they have the total power, you will find out they are simply using these individuals and have no concern for them at all. At all. That then will collapse as well because this is God's world. We're made in God's image. And every day, the world is seeking to chip away at your recognition of that. Brothers and sisters, spend time. Spend time in here. Let the, let the Spirit of God minister the Word of God to you and heal you from the constant damage that is done by this world. The things we see when we turn on a computer today, the drag queens grooming children. It damages our souls. We need to be with other believers. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in the word. Memorize the word. Young people, memorize scripture. I can't memorize the way I used to. I just can't. Your, your brain chemistry changes I think of those teenage years and the joy that I had. I remember one specific summer. Nobody else was home. I'd be home alone because I was working nights, six to midnight. And I would walk the little hallway in our home. It wasn't a big house. Back and forth. Memorizing scripture. Memorizing, memorizing. Because I, I love my, this is, this is the LSV that I had in the debate we had recently in Tullahoma. Another beautiful piece of work from Jeffrey Rice. I probably won't get to take this to prison if I end up there. Memorize. Memorize. Love. Pray. Fellowship. 
and support everybody who's doing the same thing. Support everybody who's doing the same thing. As we close, once again, wow, sitting here in, um, and I've named her. I would love to take you around and show you stuff and everything else. I'd love to tell you the name, all the rest of that kind of stuff, but we have so many people who do not like us. And I have to be, I have to recognize that there would be some people who would like to damage this thing, maybe destroy it. So, but I have, I can tell you this, I named it after my mom. (laughs) She's, she, my mom would have loved to have traveled in one of these things. She would have loved it. She loved to travel. She didn't get to do much of it. Um, but what she did, she she just enjoyed so much. So um, it's awesome. And we're excited. And I pray that for my safety as I drive, wisdom as I drive, uh, and then wisdom as to how to Put the studio in in a in a fashion that will allow it to survive being bounced around because that's what happens. You go through construction zones, you, you drive the I-40 in New Mexico. <laughs> you go to Louisiana, you go to Shreveport. Ah, the I-20 in Shreveport. Oh. Um, stuff gets bounced all over the place. We have to do it right and make it effective, make it efficient, make it something I can just dive in there and it's there, it's ready to go. Um, it can be done, but it's going to take some some planning and some wisdom. Pray for us that the Spirit of God would give us direction. So anyways, thanks again for tuning in today. If you didn't get a chance to see Apologia Radio, tune in. Um, we were very straightforward. Jeff, especially very straightforward with Brandon as to, you know, he's a false teacher. And of course he said the same thing about us, that we are hurting people and we're damaging people and all the rest of this kind of stuff. There is no middle ground here. Once you reject God's law and God's way, there's no middle ground. Uh, Make sure to go get, uh, go listen to that, download it, that's the kind of thing that I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm worried that everybody needs to grab that and download it because I'm not sure how long it'll be up. I hope it stays up, but you and I both know the people at Google. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is. So thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on the dividing line. God bless.